0: welcome everyone to this uh very very uh i'm gonna try to say humorous or we're seriously talking about humor or we are trying to figure out humor and perhaps we're trying to figure out ourselves uh by talking about ourselves and i feel like a lot of the conversations in our world are really becoming obviously more virtual, we're becoming more long distant, but at the same time, the discovery is ultimately about finding out more about ourselves and getting through the veil and through the uh, thickness of what it means uh, for us to be in this journey, in this world. And without further ado, this brings me to an introduction to a friend, a good friend of mine, who is a, a philosopher, historian, codifier, a humorist, a musician, a poet, and a Talmud Chacham, a Torah scholar, and, um, and a good friend and a real loving friend. And that is uh, my good friend and brother, uh, Menachem Foyer. Um, professor. And I mean, we go, we go so far back in terms of our personal development and uh, knowing each other and taking, uh, you know, paths in life um, that, um, that are unique, that are unique and that really are in the paths that we're in, we've crossed paths, you know, within the different junctures. And every time it's been the same. And that's really the mark of a good friend that you could realize that wherever they are and you are, as time goes on, you know, you could speak to each other and kind of like trade and know where, you know, where we are at in life and I know this, this is kind of uh, a long, a long intro to try to um, get into what I feel is is going to be um, is the conversation, um, and that's the conversation of how do we make sense of the world around us. Mm. Um, there are so many paths, and uh, a Professor Doctor um theologian foyer um uh is going is going to you know touch on them but there are so many different paths of knowing ourselves and one of the fascinating paths is um is humor and so humor essentially is the breakdown of what seems like it's serious i mean take the you know take that picture of someone who's just walking and all of a sudden there you know there's a a banana peel and they slip on that that totally did not make sense that wasn't on the radar yet the serious now uncovers something that maybe it was serious all here, but maybe in reality, the reality is different. And we kind of take humor to that extent. And so, yeah, I wanna, I'm just very, very excited to have uh, Menachem on because Menachem I feel is one of the unique combinations of so many opposites. On the one hand, he's so serious. As you see in that, you know, it, it, you know, he he he's gonna analyze, and yet he is um, such a a hiker and a musician and a poet. And all those opposites are what really drew me um, to be, you know, for us to, to just be such. Great friends, and uh, for me to really admire you as, as really as a, as, as a, as a friend and a brother. So um, I'd love you to just jump in because you know that's you know we we just talk candidly. We're just like right now in front of officially um, something which is outside of us,
1: but essentially mm-hmm. it's not. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sure. Thank you so much. You're such so kind. Your introductions, your descriptions. You're so kind. I could just say I'd gone through a lot of transitions and a lot of different things. And it's important to go through life in a lot of different ways. I was born in upstate New York in a small town in the Adirondack Mountains. My parents are New Yorkers in the middle of nowhere, you know, in the leather, my dad's in the leather business. And I was raised in a world where we were like opposites, like we were not like everybody else. We were a little outsiders. You know, Jews are always like, you know, on the margins of things in the world, you know, we're, we're on the edge. And it was very interesting to, you know, I always go back to the origin. You know, you have to go back to where you come from to figure out where you are, where you've been and where you're going. It's always good to turn back. So I came from this place where I was like one Jew at a class. You know, my brother and I were one of like four Jews in a whole school in the Adirondacks. And it was very interesting. And like I became, I became a... Uh, more religious after I left university like my, my give you an idea. so I left uh, my small town to give you an idea like for my bar mitzvah I, I got an ATV a three-wheeler these big you know the uh, ATVs so I could drive around the Adirondacks with it and I became uh yeah I was like a wild boy I was like a, an American wild boy you know and I and I uh, assimilated the best I could and try to balance things out you know but it was only after I left high school and I went to university that I really started thinking about what it means to be Jewish. I went to state university, of New York at Binghamton there were a lot of Jews there. And I had the first time in my life, I had like a group of Jewish friends I could hang out with and, and understand a lot of people from New York city. And, and it, it opened up my eyes a lot. And I really got into academics because in my hometown sports were the big thing, you know, sports and partying, you know, you, you, you do one or the other, you do both a combination you could do grateful dead. You could do that. And, that together with sports or fish and sports some kind of you know combinations and and when i was in university i was like i don't have to do that and i went i went out i think things that i was doing in high school i stopped drinking i stopped smoking weed whatever you know i was like i'm gonna go clean i'm gonna like learn i'm gonna see what it means to be jewish i'm gonna see what it means to be what's it mean to be a human being and i studied comparative literature and philosophy and i was a bfa I was really nerd. I was dabbing in a lot of things. I was trying to figure out who I was. And after my last years in uh, university, I went out. My non Jewish girlfriend and we went out cross country. And I had like some awakenings like, what am I doing with my life? What's going on? Where am I going? And I, I went down to San Diego. I stayed with my uncle, because I was going to go to Berkeley for graduate school. I was going to start up there. And, and I, that detour made me think a lot about what it means to be Jewish. Then I ended up going to yeshiva instead of going to graduate school after an Israeli. The head of the one of the heads of the program, Avi Tal Ronell, an Israeli scholar, told me to go to yeshiva. You know, who's a secular scholar. Her parents were diplomats, Israeli diplomats in Prague. <clears throat> she went to Princeton and Middlebury. Very, right? you know, distinguished Israeli secular Israeli philosopher. You know, and she told me to go. She said, "Then come back afterwards. You know, get a hold of me after you go to yeshiva, and we can talk."
0: Menachem, one second. I, you're just going so fast on on, Oops, on your on your life fascinating life story yeah but i just wanted to stop you and just maybe go back a little bit to your uncle zev which yes, i uncle zev, have zev. met and that was a, a big influence on you you know in your yes. life can you can you
1: speak about him a little bit yeah my uncle zev is like he's a legendary kind of dude he uh, my mother's brother uh is like one of the, a world-renowned acupuncturist and healer and he lives in san diego and he's a religious man He's just not your typical religious guy. You he's, just skipped over him so quickly. You just I like, so oh, much- I was
0: by my uncle Zev and I changed my no, whole no, life. No. I'm like, what What happened there?
1: Your uncle's something. What happened, something. With, Zev? What happened yeah. with Zev? Yes. <clears throat> well, Zev, Zev is the first person. I mean, I always really uh, looked up to him. He was like my hippie uncle comes from that world. I've had, he's, he's very knowledgeable. He's very cool. He's a great, he's a musician. He's a lady. He's got the Ben Levy. He's got the great musical talent. He's a real worldly renaissance kind of human being. I've always really looked up to him. And when I went to him in San Diego, after I left my girlfriend in Montana, my ex-girlfriend at that point, um, he taught me about Yiddishkeit. I put tefillin on. I did Shabbos, Shabbat. And he's Sephardi. He's got Moroccan minhagim. So I took on, I actually took on Sephardic minhagim to start off and I spent a lot of time with him and I learned a lot I stayed at his house for three months because I was considering whether or not to go to Berkeley or go to yeshiva I was having a battle every day what should I do and then my aunt told me his wife Adit told me said go to Crown Heights I lived there before I got married to your your uncle and I used to go to the Rebbe all the time and it's a very special place you should go to Morristown Yeshiva I heard it's great it could be a good place for you. And I took her word for it and I did a cross-country journey. It's very weird Ashka HaPratid story with that. It's like, I don't have any money. I'm stuck here. And she's like, get a job, get it, you know, you know, and I'm like, but I don't know. So one day I went to university of UCSD, University of California, San Diego. And I was really into, when I was an undergrad, I was really into philosophy and literature and poetry. And I was really into this poet, Jewish poet, post-Holocaust poet, uh, Paul Celan. And one of the world experts on Paul Salon was at UCSD. And he was, he wasn't even Jewish. He was like a, a Mormon. So I went to see him on campus and talk to him about this essay I'd written. Because when I was in undergrad, I took two years of graduate school. While I was an undergrad, I was so advanced in my studies, they put me in graduate seminars. And I, and I went to him and I read this paper on Paul Salon that I'd written. So I, I sent it to him first. And then uh, we, we talked about it. He was like blown away by this and we had a good conversation. I was like, maybe I should you know, go to graduate school the like way mine was going. So I come back to my car, it's parked outside of UCSD and my car is smashed. And I was driving, I had an Audi. My, my father gave me a hand-me-down Quattro 4000S, beautiful car, the moonroof, everything. I drove across country and it was smashed. I'm like, oh my God, what is this? And inside of the car, there was a note. That someone had written down the license plate of the person who hit and run me. And, and so I took the information and I like reached out, I talked talk to the police. And then, then this person actually reached out to me. And the amount of the, the car expenses and everything, there's actually some extra money that I got out of this. And I was enough money to travel to go to Morristown Yeshiva oh across God. country. God, it was I knew even- nice. Wow. that car accident. <laughs> I was like, thank God, because I don't know how I'd make it back to, up to East Coast, really. I'd be stuck in San Diego. Wow, that paid your tuition? Yeah, it paid, it paid for, yeah, it paid for the car. Plus, I mean, you know, you can do with insurance settlements. You can balance things out so that your car gets fixed, and then you can do some extra other things, too. So I managed to, like, do it. Oh, thank God! I didn't God.
0: Even hear that story. I don't. Maybe you told me that story. Tons of, you know, I got tons of stories. But that yeah. was the one
1: that really that got was... me out there. And then you know, it was a very interesting journey. And I went to Morristown Yeshiva. I went to Lubavitch Yeshiva for two years. Yeah. And uh, then after that, I left and went to graduate school after Gimel Talmud. That was a whole. That was the whole thing.
0: Well, you were you uh, were learning you were learning Hasidut. You were learning um oh, yeah. and I and the way your mind works, mm. you know, you got you know I copped it you yeah it. yeah you got you got into like concepts there
1: totally I loved I loved learning Hasidus i I learned I used to teach my marim all the time I used to really get in I really got into it at that time and then I went to Israel when I was in graduate school I went to or and I learned Rabbi Rashab. I studied a lot of like that, that that stuff really in-depth and I really enjoyed that really abstract kind of you know in-depth I really enjoyed it and I really I, and I and I was a, and I was a philosophy guy so for me I was in an undergrad I was in philosophy and compared literature and and I went on from there to graduate school to comparative literature philosophy program and I went back to the same university I went to because I wanted to do a tikkun on what had happened to me there in that small university town Binghamton New York I wanted to like go back there and balance everything out I felt like I had to do it I got accepted to Yale Columbia Berkeley And I gave it all up to do this Tikkun, whatever was in a spiritual path. So I did that. So, so I did that. I got my PhD and then I went on and, and, uh, I got, you know, I became, I was like, I'm going to become an academic. I'm going to be a professor. And, and I did that for 13 years. Yeah. I got a a position. I came, I came out to Toronto. I married a woman from Toronto and I got a job here, different universities. You taught in, um,
0: in, um, uh, up, up, up there, upstate. Where where was it again? taught in uh, Buffalo. You taught in Buffalo University yep. and, and yep.
1: where else? Then I came, no, I, saw, I started there, but I just, and I did, I, we lived in Ithaca for our first year. I did not teach in Ithaca College or Cornell, although I would love to, but I was still in my graduate school. So I came back and I taught here and I was like, I became, I was a member of the York University Jewish Studies program and the Center for Jewish Studies. And then I went on to University of Waterloo Yeah, where I'm in the Jewish studies department, where I'm on faculty today, but I, then I got into tech. So just talk about switching. And then I got into four years, five years ago, I got into the tech industry. A friend of mine tapped me on the shoulder, said, come in, work with me. And I thought, you know, I want to help a lot of people like in academia, you can help, you can do good things. Giving people knowledge is a good thing. Um, Think, thought is a good thing. And then I moved into tech and I thought, I want to go help the Jewish community. I want to help people in the Jewish community, learn tech and get jobs. I want, that's my main Thing. And it's, I've been doing that for the last five years. And, and now I run programs in the United States and Canada. We run kids coding programs in the United States and Canada. We just got our, our seventh school. We're in day schools. We're teaching coding to kids grades one to eight. And in high schools, you know, 10 to 12. But in the midst of all this, I talk, talk about humor. Just to come to the topic, <laughs> I became an expert on the shlemiel Like that was my academic specialty. The Philosophy of the Schlemiel, it's a comedic, it's like a philosophical and theological reflection on the comic character known as Schlemiel. I published many essays on it and book collections and talked lectures on it. I just gave a graduate seminar in Budapest on it. So I was always really fascinated with comedy, you know, with the Schlemiel. I think I'd started on that about like, God, I don't know, eight years ago, eight to 10 years ago, I started on this project. And I had the largest blog in the Schlemiel in the world. I'm um, one of the world authorities on the Shlemiel. I know it sounds ridiculous, but it's true. I am a philosophical, I am an expert. I can talk about it anywhere in the world. If you need anybody to talk about the Shlemiel, the history of the Shlemiel, the theological readings, the cultural readings, I can do it all. I've written, like literally, I think I have over 200 essays on this in my blog. So so I, I have six thousand 6, over 6,500 followers. And... Seth Rogan, I had a, Seth, a thing with Seth Rogan and I about calling him a schlemiel. I said he's, you know, is he endure? I said is is Seth Rogan endearing or pitiable, you know, as a schlemiel character? And he responded, he said both. I was like, okay, so you're both. So like that was my little little moment, because that's what a schlemiel is. A schlemiel character is the charming guy who spills the soup, who you feel sorry for, but is also very charming. You know, so comedy. I like. There's something about a Shlemiel character. I really love. And I, maybe it's my father. kind of like a Shlemiel. He's a genius Shlemiel. He's a brilliant guy. He's like a Shlemiel. Like there's something about Jews. The Shlemiel, the Shlemiel, and Nudnik are like three parts of the Jew. You know, you have you're sitting at a table. The joke goes, Shlemiel, Shlemazel, Nudnik. It's lunchtime. It's right around now. I mean, here on the East Coast, it's a little two hours back, and and the, sh- the nudnik doesn't want to get up. He's always complaining. He's always he's always complaining about things. And the schlamazel is like he doesn't want to get it either because he's always he's got a lot of pain, and he wants the shlemiel. The shlemiel's a nice guy. Why don't you get the bowl of soup? And the shlemiel's like, okay, I'll get it for you. So he goes and gets this hot these bowls of soup. He's got three bowls, and he goes right when he's about to get to the table, he fl- they fly all into the schlamazel. He's got hot soup all over him. He's screaming. He's like. ah! <gasps> You know, he gets, he's screaming and then Nudnik's like, oh my God, all that soup's lost. What kind of soup is that? You know, so he, the Nudnik makes things worse. The Schlamazel gets hit and the Schlamiel is the one who spills. He, the, he initiates the event, right? So this is like a Jewish trio. So you're going to have the person who gets hit, the person who does the hitting, but doesn't really mean to, it wasn't his intention to hurt anybody, but he got involved in this. He just really wanted to help people. And then things went haywire. And then you got a guy who's like, makes things worse. He just makes it worse.
0: So, like, you know, you know what that really sounds like just to get to modern day, like our lives Seinfeld kind yeah, of exactly. like that, that is like the, you know, the perfect, it's a setup, you know, you've got Eileen, what's her, what's his name? Um, of course, Jerry, Kramer. Uh, Kramer, exactly. You've got these, these three, and I mean, it's debatable which one is which, Yeah. Um but that's an interesting essay, you yeah, know. Jason are,
1: Alexander is a you in the blog. He's for uh, sure. He's the Schlemiel, No who question.
0: Who is? Say. Sit, Alexander.
1: Jason Alexander. Wow. He, ah, he, okay. Yeah, he's John the Shlemiel. Castanza. Right. The right. character. So he he's for sure a Schlemiel character. Okay. okay. And he's always okay. the one who accidentally spills things and starts problems. He doesn't mean to. He's a nice guy. He's a charming guy, but things does, everything's not together. What I like about Larry David, like Curb Your Enthusiasm, is cool. Is he's all three. He is, he is all three in one. He's like, he's like, he's a brilliant idea. His idea for Curb Your Enthusiasm was, you know, I'm going to create a character who's a schmiel, a shlemazel, and a nudnik simultaneously. He's going to get, hit. he's going to cause problems. He's going to get hit, and he's going to complain all the time about himself. Another, you know, he's going to, he's, he's going to hate himself. He's going to be angry at himself, you know, and he's not going to see things. But it's interesting. Comedy is always about a blind spot. You know, you can't there's something that you don't see that somebody else in the crowd is gonna see it's like laughing about, wow, they can't see, they're blind. But we all have blind spots. And in a way, we're all schlemiels in a way, you know, there's things that we don't see and we don't foresee, you know, we can't, you know, we're not perfect, you know, and to think that we're all perfect uh, people is uh, philosophically a problem, you know, we're all finite. We have limited information, limited knowledge. Our Kalim are limited. A keli is a keli. But what I like about Hasidus is is that you can bring together infinity and finitude. And like Purim, for instance, you have these two coming together in a comical way. It's like it's it's a it's a comedic, class not a clash, a comedic like meeting point. When they meet, it's like joy, humor, everything's upside down, <laughs> everything's turned over. It's totally unreal. Mm-hmm. But that's is comedy there's deep comedy is a happy ending i mean that's how you would define it in theory you know and tragedy is a bad ending you know you have a hollywood ending is a comic ending where things turn out good like shakespeare like the tempest that could be a tragedy in the tempest but it turns out to be a comedy end because things turn out well you know so oedipus Rex. you know all these classic tragedies or king lear these are all tragedies because the tragic flaw just Eats up the person; they can't overcome their tragic flaw, and it just leads to disaster. You know, like right now we're seeing in the world, do we have a tragedy on our hands. Yes, it seems like there's really Putin's not going to change his mind. You know, so his so, tragic
0: flaw. So, so talking about that, and basically talking about the um, the Jewish people basically being on the forefront of comedy, at least you know, in the United States, the way you know, just mentioning Seinfeld and um, you know all these. Uh, comedians, you know, from the uh, Catskills and, yeah, yeah. so, um, and then going back, even further back in, in history, you know, like the, the, the that Jewish shmiel, uh, shlemiel, um, mm. it's, it, it so doesn't make sense on a, on a certain level, because, you know, Jewish people, I mean, we've had such a rough history, yeah. and we've got so much trauma that we're mm-hmm. carrying um mm-hmm. that we're working through etc mm-hmm. um and a lot of it is very anxious there's a lot of anxiety that we have mm-hmm. you know as the jewish people you know and and, and you know you post holocaust you know talking about you know my my, my mother in law who's a second generation i mean you, you look at her i mean but on the other hand there's a transformation at that point. I love what you said about pouring. There's a transformation at a certain point. Yeah. Is it anxiety or is it even humor? Yeah. It's like, it's almost like you're talking to me. You, who? Yeah. You, you, who what, what do you think you said? You know, and, and then, like, it just gets into like, there's, there's anxiety, but you're just transforming that into, into something, which is it really is funny, and it's almost like we're laughing at ourselves, which is really the the, the so much of the the source of, of humor, of classic humor. You know, I'm not talking about like a lot yeah. of the modern day humor, which is so filled with um, profanities is, is is not is is not humorous. Or to, to you know, tell you tell you the truth, like when I try to look at you know or, it, I don't. I don't find it funny. Like a lot of it is just demeaning, and it's putting down. That's not yeah. humor. But right. when you think about the uh, the roasts, right back in the uh, '60s, yeah. Yeah.
1: you
0: know, with uh, um you know, they had all those. You know, it wasn't Jackie? Sure. And it was uh, what's his name? Yeah. Um,
1: what's his guy? Don Rickles.
0: Don Rickles uh, roasting, real. and uh, you know, he looked like he, he was coming down on them, and and and. Hey. Yet, Seemingly, yet, hey. But yet there's, there's an opening. There's, there's no, it's not coming from a, from, from a, it's not coming from a mean place. It's coming from a, from a place of, of wanting to show something which is deeper, Mm -hmm. which is found within. Yes. And, you know, talking about like, you know, that, that power, that power of comedy and the power of humor, which really goes so deep inside of our psyche of like, knowing that I, I love what you said about, like, knowing about it's gonna be good in the future. Like the difference between a comedy and a tragedy, because of the tra- tragedy is that anxiety ridden parts of ourselves, which are which is which are like, oh my God, this is I don't know what's gonna happen. I don't know what's gonna, you know, versus the versus the the comedy is like tracht good, vin sein good, think good, That's it right. will be good, think positive, it is good, there is light, and then that frame of mind it's like, it's almost like, I can't live this way anymore. I can't live with the anxiety. So might as well live with the positivity, but I can't fully live with the positivity. So just let me, let me have fun with it. Let me, let me express myself. And that, that comedy level, it's like, I'm not yet there, I'm feeling anxious, but I'm, but I'm making fun. I'm making light of it. Yeah. And making light of the of the process of getting to that to that space, um, there's 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 so much in that humor which is really brilliance. You yeah. know, it's really it's really brilliance uh, because the I, because I find that the most brilliant people are really the comics.
1: Absolutely. You know,
0: they're they like the the Gemara says that who is the person of the next world? They they identified Eliyahu Navi. Mm. So, um, the uh, Rabbi Yeshua came with Navi. Tell me, the person in the in, in the marketplace is the person of the next world. And he said, "These two comics, these two comedians,
1: wow,
0: they, they were merry makers. They're the people of the next world."
1: Love it. You gotta show me that passage. You gotta.
0: Yeah. It, okay. Then a Gemara, later, and It's a Gemara and Masachta. Yeah. It's a, it's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're. We're 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 making we're poking fun at the veil, at the illusion.
1: Yes, it's true. I like that. It's a mystical thing, you know. I, my my favorite uh, My favorite Hasidic stories with comedy, for instance, is uh, Rabbi Nachman's story of the Tom and the Chacham, and the mm-hmm. illusion poking the fun. It's very interesting because the brilliant person in that story. I just, I'll go over the story real quick, you know, thumbnail it. Um, so you have these two guys, they grew up together, a Chacham and a, a, a Tom. They both come from wealthy families, whatever. And then when they get to a certain age to go out into the world, the Chacham says, I want to go learn about the world. I want to, I want to, I want wisdom. I want knowledge. I want to know. I want to know. And then the Tom's like, I just want to stay here. I'm going to be a shoemaker. I'm going to like, you know, live a simple life. You know, I need to like, leave the town. So he stays local and he, he becomes a shoester, a shoe shoemaker. And, and the, the, the Chacham goes on the world. He goes to different countries. He learns different languages. He wants to master everything. And it's really interesting because every time he does something, if he does something a little bit wrong, if he messes up a little bit, he gets really angry. He gets angry at himself. He gets skeptical and doubtful and self-hate. He gets so full of anger and, and uh, resentment So he goes out into the world and then he hears you know he he goes he becomes a he does jewelry he does art he becomes a doctor because i know Rabbi Nachman's really into the doctors you know spiritual doctors versus physical doctors so he becomes a doctor and he has one case that he fails and he this person he fails and he gets so angry at himself and so you know that he and, and in the midst of this his father does so he go ends up going back to the village where the tom is and the father's house is gone. He can't stay in the father's house, so the Tom says to him, "Come, stay with me." So they, it becomes the odd couple. Your origin of the odd couple starts with Reb Nachman's story, and it was very, very popular ta- tale. You know, a lot of modern writers know it very well, like all you know, great Yiddish writers and Jewish writers, Hebrew writers, Agnon, I. B. Singer, they all know. So, so he goes. So they're living together, the odd couple, and every day the the, the Shlomil. The Tom is the simpletons always telling jokes trying to lighten things up it's like you're so so serious you're so hard on yourself you're so 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 he's he's trying to lighten things up with him and then and then uh then one day the king hears about like wow this odd couple wow these opposites these two completely different people they live together and they're I gotta see this I want to meet them I want to meet these people so instead of the king going there he's the king invites them both to come visit him in his palace so so what happens is is that the king says okay these are two different people they're going to need two different shluchim two different messengers they have to go there and work with them because they're two different personas and the chacham guy you have to get a smart guy to go get him because he's not going to be easily convinced he just doesn't he's very skeptical human being the tom will just get a simple person go over there so what happens is is that the uh first the shliach goes to the tom and the tom's like oh yeah i'd love to see the king that's amazing he's like so he doesn't ask questions he's just like you're wow the king wants to see me oh my god little me see that he believes it totally he wants to go the chacham the the shliach he says to me he says to him you expect me to believe this do you even know who a king is so he starts asking him questions you don't even know who the king is who sent you somebody else sent you and then he says, I bet you you don't even know that a king doesn't even exist. So it turns into a theological argument. It turns into a theological thing, right? About the existence of God. So what happens is he convinces the shliach that he doesn't even know the king, that they, they, he's never seen the king. So they go, both go on a pilgrimage across the land and they go and they, they start going to soldiers, all types of people, and saying, have you ever met the king? How do you know the king exists? So they create this atheist movement, basically, they create this big atheist movement and the Chacham's yes. angry and he wants everybody to know that there's no king and they never experienced the king. They don't know the king. So as the story goes, um, one day he goes into this village and there's a uh, Balrofa, Rofa. There's a guy who's, you know, helping people who are sick. You know, he's giving, you know, saying prayers over them, doing all types of things to heal them. And all these people are there and he goes into this tavern and he starts bad mouthing this, uh, Balrofa, he says, This guy's fooling everybody's people are so stupid. They go there, they think they're gonna get healed. This guy is just faith healing, all this is crap. And the the tavern owner overhears this, and the tavern owner's own daughter was healed by this Rofa apparently. And he says, Who the hell do you think you are coming in here saying this? So <laughs> then he starts a fight. So so he gets, he says, So the police come, and they take the they take the cockum and they bring him before. The, the, the person who runs the province and guess who runs the province the tom so that he goes to the tom and the tom he says oh my god i've been seeing you in so long what are you doing here he said well the king gave me this position after i met him he's like he was so happy he wanted me to you know take care of the province and he says are you crazy you're trying to convince me there's a king come on and that's the story ends right there you know it's just It's interesting because it shows like the limits of like the skeptic will always be a skeptic even to the end will even convince himself or herself. That what they think is really true, they they can't even see in front of them they're so convinced of their own ideas. But it's good we need a release valve because within the Jewish people we have skeptics, we have cynics, we have, we have it in ourselves, you know it's not, I think Rabbi Nachman struggled with it himself, you know so. So what I really like about this story is, you know, this idea is that, you know, you got to laugh. You got to open up because maybe your your encrusted view of things, your skeptical, angry, anxiety-ridden view of things. Narcissistic.
0: Is- it sounded like very, like this guy was really like, the chacham was like a super nar- narcissist.
1: Super narcissist. And, the, you know, and he's totally can't let go. He can't, he can't, let, can't go. let go
0: of anything besides himself. He can't open up to the fact that, there is a king, you know, he's, yeah. trying to, he's trying to make everyone else think his way.
1: Yeah. And he has to convince everybody else to come together with him. It's an interesting thing. It's not just him, it's like a whole movement. He's gotta start yeah. a whole movement to, to make himself feel good about his own ideas, that they're true. And the Tom doesn't have to go through that. The Tom doesn't have to go through this whole process. So the Shlemiel is like a Tom is a simpleton and doesn't have to go through this. Yeah process but it's a dialectic you can't have a shlemiel without the the, the skeptic the chacham. you need that's why i think rabbi nachman's teaching us is that you can't have you know you need comic relief and the relief is yeah. and you're right i like how you said that about the holocaust anxiety i totally get it i i you know my family you know we i'm vigilant as hell i mean i i have ptsd you know or something i, I think it's like in part of a genetics you know or something but you know i'm vigilant i'm like what was that what was this you know what's going on get ready. We have to leave. We have to leave the house right now. Let's get out. You know, we have to go. Bombs are coming. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, it's crazy. I'll tell you one real quick anecdote. I don't want to talk to talk too much, but there was an NPR. I remember I was this NPR years ago and they said after the Iraq war, right. And they had, uh, they were talking about dogs, these dogs, they trained dogs in these prisons to, to spend time with people with PTSD. So what do these dogs do? What are they trained to do? They're trained when you go to Walmart or you go to a supermarket, wherever, you know, people have PTSD from the war because around every corner, every corner could be a bomb. It could be a landmine there. There could be a guy with the machine gun there, you know, cause they've seen war. That's what war does to you. Yeah. So the dog goes and then it look, comes back and looks and, you know, basically it's okay. You can go. It's all right. The dog isn't frightened. So kind of like a schmiel, it's kind of like a way, kind of like, like that, that dog. It's okay. You can relax. Right. There's no bomb. There's no person with a gun over there. And it's, it's comedic in a way. Why does a man need a dog to tell him or her that it's okay around the corner? You know, it's, an, it's like, I think humor is a lot, about, a lot about us and our anxieties and about relieving them and having hope because when you're all bundled up and scared and PTSD'd, there's there, there very little hope, you know, this seems to just be disaster. You know, every, every, everything around the corner is a disaster. You know, everything is gonna fall apart. That's why like, at least in Larry David, he makes some funny of that, like in Curb Enthusiasm, he has like Sarah Aspen's character, she's like, it's a disaster. But it's, it's not, it's really not a disaster, you know? And you have to like, you have to laugh at that because, you know, it's life, if life were all PTSD yeah. vigilance, it would be, it's miserable and it shouldn't be that way, and I think Jews understand comedy, and we know that we've been in exile, we keep on getting, you know, kicked out of countries, pogroms, holocaust, you know, all these, these things, one after another, you know, make us very skeptical about the world, you know, you, like, look at the world, can I trust them, can I trust these people, can I trust this, can I trust that, can, you know, we're always asking these questions, it's, like, built into our genetics, you can't, it's, like, our, it's our genes, our, our nervous system is wired that way, but, you know, we realize that there has to be laughter through tears. I think that's what Irving How Irving Howe put it. You know, and Ruth Weiss they had a conversation about Shemuelachem, and they said that is it is it is it tears through laughter or laughter through tears? Which which way does it go? You know, is it laughter through tears or tears through laughter? So, it's gonna go one way or the other. But there has to be laughter has to go through the tears in some what,
0: way. What What do you mean by that?
1: Laughter. They made, through They, through they through made. Through there. there was a debate. They framed the. the they had a. Series of letters. Ruth Weiss is a major expert on the Shlemiel. She was the Harvard head of Yiddish there at Harvard for many years. Has gone on to like, you know, she's retired. She's a professor emeritus there, and she's an expert on the Shlemiel. And um, she wrote Irving Howe. I thought like you're uh, the expert. Uh, I'm just taking over where she left off. I don't right. know what she right. she did. I'm just right. I'm just. Get she in. laid the. She wrote the Shlamiel as Modern Hero, which is the best book on the Shlamiel ever written, in my humble opinion. Okay. So she got that to get, she would be in Harvard without that book. So, so this, uh, so there was a, they had a this thing, I think it was, I can't remember, I think it was Moment Magazine, one of these magazines. I think it was, no, Commentary. It was Commentary. They went back and forth, Commentary in like the early 70s. They had letters back and forth to each other discussing Shalom Alechem. And the debate was framed, the discussion was framed about laughter over, is it laughter before tears or tears before laughter? These two different ways of looking at tragedy to comedy, comedy to tragedy, you know, so they discussed it. I like, like Woody Allen has a famous uh, expression which relates to this. It says that uh, comedy is about time, you know, time distance from tragedy. You know, that's what, that's the measure, you know, comedy is the measure. The, The more farther you get away from tragedy, the more comical things can become. Like you can now, you're in the midst of it you've nothing to laugh about you know that's why rabbi akiva is very interesting that whole story rabbi akiva with the base of mikdash the destruction and sees the fox and he starts laughing it's such a hard thing to understand because there's the tragedy it's like right there all the rubble is like right there the base of mikdash is destroyed and he sees a fox and he's like this is a fulfillment of prophecy this is he sees something that they other they can't see, and that's he's that's what makes him a Sadi. That's what makes him very unique, mm-hmm. is because uh, while other people are caught up in that, he can see the good. He can see through the cracks, you know. And that, so
0: it's, so comedy is more the the proximity to the tragedy, or
1: yeah, proximity. Well, Woody uh, Allen yeah. says the distance from it's the it's a, it's about distance from the tragic event. The farther away, more like for instance, 9-11. Who's gonna tell jokes about 9-11 or about the Holocaust? You know, there's a whole movie about jokes about the Holocaust. I was on a panel at the Association for Jewish Studies, I don't know, I think like four years ago, about this movie, that documentary that was put out. And like, how can you tell jokes about the Holocaust? Because there are comedians, Jewish comedians, who tell jokes about the Holocaust. How could they? How could you tell jokes about the Holocaust? And they have a Holocaust survivor listening to her jokes. It's a really great documentary actually, but it's like really asked some really solid questions. Can you, can you joke about tragedy at a certain point if you're so distant from it? That's like one of the questions that's asked because we, at a certain point we need to laugh when you tell jokes, you need to, you know, but that's out of anxiety, but, 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 but tragedy, but, trauma, Holocaust.
0: No, yes. to, 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 to me those those are untouchables. those those are things yeah. that are sacred. sacred. They yeah. you know, we don't like that's not funny. there that's the thing. There are things that are not funny because you don't go there. i I, I think that yeah. in my opinion, yeah. the humor is the is the response that the human has that we have to the perception, not not to the actual fact like rabbi akiva didn't he he knew the facts but the perception of it really is good really caused him to have that positive frame of mind um it wasn't the 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 thing itself that he was poking at because that that's not humor anymore that that's that's actually like being mean Um, yeah,
1: yeah. Larry David got in big trouble. He went on Saturday Night Live and he told the Holocaust joke, and it didn't work.
0: No, you you, you know that that's that's a lack of. I I feel like that's you know that. I think that there's something very holy about humor, and I think that unless you're connected to holiness, like to right, then you're not really there because because and and I'll and I'll. I'd love to get your your thought on this. There's something called the batchan in a in a in a Jewish wedding, and the job of the batchan um, is the merrymaker that he pokes um, fun at the bride at the groom more maybe the you know and 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 for 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 the for the purpose of. Um, sweetening the judgments mm. that there's a spiritual reason for the laughter the laughter is not so much the you know the, the the laughter in it of itself or the point of the joke or you know to it's it's the idea of there's a there's a sweetening there's a sweetening of the harshness and uh that's what the bad Khan's job would do to take the bride and the groom and they would just make jokes and make merry and cause their whole future to be one of you know of sweetening of judgments as as kabbalah teaches that there's that there's the judgments the negativity but then there's a sweetening of it which comes through um, through joy um, like, like the yeah book, the king, yeah the yeah
1: dinam, the dinam. i never heard yeah. that one but yeah that makes uh, sense. I Mera, Mera Basara was really into this, you know. Yes, was, exactly. That was through my uncle Zev. Why I, I should, you know, so many things, you know, a, a person's mind. But yeah, Mera was Mera was a major influence on me. I was introduced him in, through Zev, and Mera Mera loved humor. Mera loved comedy. Mera, so if you could
0: just go back to Mera Basara was a classic um, individual. Um, if you could just say a little bit about who he sure. was.
1: Absolutely, Mera Basara was um he's a, a Moroccan Jew who was living for a while in Paris he was living in Paris and he was at the time he was he comes from the Abu Hatsira family that Babasali line he's from that family and he was in Paris at the time and uh when he was in his 20s and 30s early he's young man when he was a young man and he really got into macrobiotics he was really into you know healthy eating and living macrobiotics isn't just a, a diet it's a lifestyle it's a community it's all these things are integrated. It's a Japanese kind of diet. So he was really into it in the late 60s and early 70s. This was a very big thing. There were macrobiotic houses all around the United States. People were getting into it. It was a big thing. And uh, what happened was he came to the United States and he was, uh, he met Oshawa. Oshawa was um, one of the major founders of macrobiotics, the idea of, you know, spreading this idea. And he came to the United States, he did a tour and he would go around to, around the United States with his wife, Esther, uh, and they would get people into macrobiotics. they go to these places. They'd stay at these drop of these houses. They were very ch- cool people. They are very chill. He was an artist. He had been into writing poetry. He was into, he was a total artist. He was friends with artists. He's got tons of stories, I remember, about his relationships with artists in the West Bank in Paris. So, so he went around and then he ended up in Binghamton, New York, which was where I went to university. There's a lot of Ashgacha practice about that place. Um, one of my mentors, Simcha Gottlieb, was from there and he was, he was with Mary. Mary started basically a kind of communist. Kind of, I don't want to call it It's like like a little kibbutz kind of thing, little community in Binghamton. A lot of people came around him, people in the university and people from New York, all these people came together and he created a macrobiotic community and he was there. He became more interested in Judaism. He visited the Rebbe, Lubavitcher Rebbe, and he was very influenced by this. And he became, he became a Lubavitcher while he was in Binghamton. And he's an amazing human being, you know, the Rebbe, you know, he wanted to go to Brooklyn. The Rebbe says, no, you stay in Binghamton because there's so many people coming through there. You know, you're going to influence them. Mashiach's going to be in Binghamton. You're on the Mashiach, Binghamton's on the Mashiach map. The Rebbe told him he has to stay there. Um, and he, he influenced hundreds, if not thousands of people to because his way of, of doing Lubavitch, which I really loved about him, which really influenced me a lot, was it's like it's it's a joyous thing it's happy you used to dance you know the way he would dance he was comedic and and fun and he like lifted all that weight that I felt like when I was in yeshiva in Morristown I felt there was a lot of weight you know serious chassid and and him for him you know you have to be yourself you can't deny or neglect who you were that was one of his big lessons is that he said, Menachem, I love you and all you, you know, everything that came from you and everything, all, who, everything that made you, you is beautiful and is a part of your being a chasid, you're, you're all, that's you. So he really helped, made me very happy and he made, and I could talk art with him and poetry and literature with him and I had a fun and being around him was like joy. He would have malaba malkas, he would have people come over and he would have big parties and was everybody Everybody was really, very cool people would be there. You'd meet very cool people. And there's always an air of joy and music is in the air. And his, his, spending Shabbat with him was very incredibly meaningful. And it changed my life. I became more religious in a way because of him. I was like, wow, I, I want to be like you. I mean, you're living the right way. This is how a Jew should be. This is a Jewish life. This is a, a happy life, a joyous life. He's always smiling and laughing. I was like, that's the right, that's the right attitude. A comedic, happy attitude. So, so... So he wrote a book called The Possible Man. That was his book they spent years on. And my uncle Zev and Simcha Gottlieb were editors of that book because his first language is French. So he had to, you know, and had to be, he had good English, but, you know, that'd be, you know, modified, worked through and made into it. And Possible Man's a great book. It's full it's a beautiful book, full of parables and great, you know, it's, it's beautiful stuff, very fun. There's, lot, there's some schlimmel stories in there, there's some mystical, Shlumil stories inside of that book. And I've written on it, I've written, I've written like, I don't know, 10 essays on that book. There's so much good stuff there. Um, and, and I just, I love how Mare sees the role of humor. You know, you, it breaks Klippa, it, it breaks shells, hiding light, you know, all that, like that guy, like the, the Chacham in Rob Nachman story, you know, he's just so much light in that guy. It's just, how do you break, how do you break through, you know? Humor is the way, like humor is like like with Purim, you know, it's it's turning things upside down and it makes us laugh because it's like, oh my God, the whole time I thought it was bad. I thought things were horrible. I, I was anxious. I was, yeah, what a fool I am. That's the whole point. Ruach the Kedusha is an idea that Mer l- latched onto. It's an idea that Lubavitch Rebbe had. It's very essential to everything Mer did. Is Ruach the Kedusha is it's, it's stus Foolishness is not a good thing in itself. just a Kedusha, a spirit of holy foolishness is is something like you're talking about the Vodkan at the wedding. The the holy foolishness has a mission. It's there to overturn things. It's there to break Klippa. It's there to spread light. It's there to, you know, share light. So that's the whole thing I loved about him is the foolishness, the dancing. It sounds like such Kedusha comes out. I I was with him in so many moments where he took, took somebody who was like all pent up and angry or confused or anxious, whatever. And he would break it in like in a, in a humorous way and everybody be laughing. He could like turn a whole room from, you know, this one, you know, it's like and you're in a room and you have one person who's really angry, that, that could infect the entire room. I mean this person, this angry person can get everybody will catch their vibe. But that's the thing about mayor is he could he would latch he would like lock into this guy. He's like this guy needs to be, you know, needs some humor. Got to like figure out, bring some Ruach just to Kedusha in there, bring some happiness there and be a little foolish, play around because this person doesn't want to play around. They're so serious, they can't, they can't have any, no foolishness here. But like that's, it's kind of like, Mare was a healer, so not just an artist. So I think that this was like his healing practice, his way of healing people is making them laugh, lighten up and he had a little dance, like a Charlie Chaplin kind of dance. He used to do his little thing with his feet. And make everybody laugh it was so cute you know so charming he was a shlemiel himself for sure he's like a holy holy shlemiel and you know and i saw many times how he transformed and i learned the lessons like if you see anybody who's like that make them laugh one of the, the last thing i'll say i'm talking so much i'm sorry about that i want to take up all the space here. but man. one of there's a really good book called the the haunted smile i'm forgetting the author of it right now but what I like, there's some accounts there that I really like that some comedians, there's one comedian, I forget, I think it maybe was Milton Burl or one of these Borscht Bell comedians that um, he became a comedian because his mother was uh, sick and dying on her deathbed. And he would come to her every day and he tell her jokes and to make her happy while she was dying. I know this is, you know, but that's what he says that's how he became a comedian is trying to cheer her up trying to find ways to wow. to, to cheer up his dying mother you know yeah. just yeah. like I, you know just to give you a sense like the contrast you know with the work that has to be done and he did a mitzvah you know i mean right before she died you know he's had her, her son's by her side making her happy she died with a smile on her face you know that's a yeah it's a beautiful thing you know rather than uh you know it's 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 it that's the real test of a good comedian is if they could spiritual tests and real tests which I love about this book it's one of my favorite passages like that, there you go Adazoy that's a real comedian someone who could cheer his mother up on a deathbed someone who could take someone who's really down and make them happy and I always do that in my house my wife always tells me like you're always making everybody laugh and you're always making everybody happy and fun you're always doing the unexpected things and that's what people like about me you know and I like that they like that about me I'm not a narcissist but I like to I like to cheer people up I like it when my kids laugh I bond with them when we laugh together you bond together you know you yeah. you grow closer to somebody if you can make them laugh you know and I, one of the keys to a good relationship with Mike with my wife I could tell other people is make your wife laugh have fun you know if you if you can't do that then not good it's not gonna you got you it's, it's, it may not end well. You know, you gotta constantly be finding humor, have a good time, loosen up. You know, you're only alive once. You know, this well it could be reincarnate, could be googling, but I'm saying that this moment right now, we gotta loosen up, have some fun, have some light. And it's also it makes you healthy too. You know, humor makes a person more healthy. It's like when you hold on to things, it's kind of like it's locked into your body. When you laugh, like your body literally go. You know, you're you're opening up. You know, all your pores things open up and you release you release toxic energy and toxic things and we all have toxic stuff in our bodies we all do and we need to like let it go that's why i love humor so much because it's very healing uh it's very keeps me alive you know i love joking around i love when my kids are home when i'm alone i can't tell jokes i need to have somebody around me like i have you know you guys you're smiling now i love it so that's that's what i need if i don't have an audience you know, you could tell jokes to yourself, but that's not gonna you
0: know. You know you know, you know what it is? Like it, it it really it really is um the perception of 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 the world. Like we're you know, you're talking about like comedians, and a good comedian can make even such an extreme situation like transform that we as as the Jewish people it's like we've gone through whatever it is that we've gone through but it's like you always have to be able to to see beyond it and to see like the goodness of it so even though it's not an actual joke and it's not maybe you don't have that um you know people in front of you that you could even communicate that joke official joke to but it's a state of mind and it's a state of mind of Simcha. It's a state of mind of joy that you're basically, you know, that we're basically penetrating through the illusion of things. Um, you know, we're, you know, this, this world is really an illusion, you know, and it's, and it's, and it seems like it's so serious. And now talking about Purim that this happened and that happened. And we realize it was just all a veil and it's all just like, It's all just vena It's like it really is like that's why Purim is like the happiest day because we think that
1: it looks so whatever, but it's like no, it's really so good. It's amazing too because it's really not. The thing with Purim is like it looks like genocide, but it's really not. We got through it, but it's interesting because it was like opposite. It's the opposite. But you know what's the worst perception possible? It looks like genocide. I don't know. I don't know of any perception for our people, which is worse than that, you know, so that's, and that was totally overturned. Yeah. I I love that. You know, I really, what I always want, I would love to have a simcha mindset. I would like to like, look at the sheker, but it's so interesting because I I run a business, you know, and, and uh, it's very serious. You know, I don't, I don't want my clients to be unhappy. You know, it's a very serious affair. It's like, they want to know that I'm on top of things and I'm doing things right. Everything's on time and everything's delivered right. It's interesting because that stuff can make you, you know, very serious. But I'm like, I want to bring simcha there. I want to bring simcha into my business and my relations and everything because it shouldn't be everything should not be totally without simcha. Everything has to have sim said Ibdu Hashem Simcha. You know, so that means whether um, you know, doing carpool or you know, working business or wherever I am, I have to find ways to to bring simcha, to bring exactly. joy, and it's a perceptual exactly. issue because maybe maybe okay. I perceive that as a space that's you know very rigid and and uh, and protocol bound. And you know, I always try to like bring humor and smile. I was just in Chicago and and I met with this pastor because we may do a program with the black community in Chicago and the, the south side. And I loved his. Uh, that's where you got that hat it's a Chicago hat <laughs> yeah so it was nice it was, it was, and it was very the interesting conversation was you know it had some levity to it and some humor it's like we're going to make a deal we're going to work together but you know the way it's sealed is with a smile you know yeah. with happiness yeah. you know that's how you can trust he's like I trust you he said you have a good spirit I can tell you got a really good spirit yeah and I was like that's nice of you you know you got a nice spirit too like we can work together <laughs> you know as opposed you know so even Simcha I was like, wow, you can have I can have Simcha. This is a ceiling the deal with Simcha, you know, this is the way I should, you know, like look at look at life that way, you know, look at yeah, you know, and that, that's a that's a humor. You're right. Simcha doesn't have to be humor, but it just means levity, you know, lightness in a way. You know, you gotta be
0: It's a state of mind. The Shlemiel is a state of mind. It's not like you know. a joke and then and then when you meet that person, they're not really that happy. But it's like it's like they know what they go through they go through anxiety most of the day, but then they're able to say like, well, at the same time, I'm able to make fun of myself and to know that it's not that serious. Um, And that opens up so much.
1: It's so interesting you say this because, you know, um, like my father, Baruch Hashem, he's alive and he's good, but he is, he does not get anxious. He doesn't have anxiety unless he's hungry. So that's it. The rest of the day, he does never. And I love that about him, you know, and my mom too, you know, it's always food, you know, people get hangry. That's what my wife calls it hangry, angry and hang, hungry and angry, hangry, you know? So, but what I love about him is he's always, he That's just doesn't have, have anxiety. anxiety. He's like, he's like, wow, like dad, you have something special going on there. I don't know. He's like, don't worry about it, about this problem. And I like, don't worry about it. Don't, it's, it's a great attitude. You know, we shouldn't worry about it. everything works out in the end, have trust, you know, Amuna
0: yeah,
1: exactly. is directly connected exactly. to
0: Sincha. Exactly. Wow. Um, Menachem. we could uh, we could definitely continue with with the Shlamiel with 10, 15 more essays, and and, and we yeah. could like analyze like the different aspects of of so many modern day implications of the Shlamiel. Okay. Bottom line um what is what is our 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 takeaway for day-to-day life from the shlemiel yes
1: the the shlemiel the takeaway is we should be humble you know and know we and laugh at our mistakes laugh at things that happen we shouldn't take them too seriously you know um, other people can laugh at them, but it's the most important thing is your attitude towards those things. Be humble. Don't ever get gaiva because you end up like a like a chacham. You know, everybody's a chacham today. Everybody, everybody knows everything. You know, we gotta be careful not to fall in that trap. You know, and I was in academia for 13 years, and I could tell you a lot of people fall into that trap. Is that don't think you know. Be humble and be ha- and, and, and laugh laugh at yourself laugh at the world it's not you're right it's like a veil of illusion there's so many illusions so many things that we take seriously which are ridiculous or other people take seriously that are ridiculous and we need to like just just know it's, it's this it's the way it is and just know when to laugh and like say to yourself oh i'm really taking this seriously maybe i'm wrong you know maybe 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 i'm seeing things a little you know maybe i'm going too crazy in this level or you know, it's just good to be humble that way and, and and oh self-aware and and to laugh you know gotta like laugh at ourselves yeah. stop punishing ourselves i think a lot of us the shlemiel, um you know one of the things of self-deprecation i think it's one of my problems is self-deprecation is making yourself small but in the heart it could be harmful you know like i self-deprecate all the way i don't know if it's maybe it's built into me genetically i don't understand but I'm always self-deprecating. It's like, you don't want me here. I'm ruining things. And I'm, and I'm always like being self-deprecating with other people when I'm around them. I'm like, no, you're not. No, you're not. So, but I made them laugh a little, you know, because that's not true. You're not ruining things. You're not making things. So it's good to like, maybe self-deprecation is a trigger for humor, you know? But again, and then again, I am pretty hard and we need to like be less hard on ourselves. I think that we're our worst critics. And Shlemiel sometimes have that. Some Shlemiel character, like Woody Allen's, any of Woody Allen's movies, you know, he's his worst critic, no question about it. You know, or in Seinfeld, right? So, so we need to like lighten up, learn from the Shlemiel, and 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 have fun. You know, laugh at ourselves, laugh at the world. Yeah. That's my big takeaway. That's, that's what I best I can come up with this moment in time. Ah, wow. love you, Menachem. Love you too, man. Thanks, Thanks for. Thank you. Thank They're you for having me on. You. I love this. I love doing this. This is and this is with you, man. I've all you know. You're a great friend. You know, and I've known you for so many years, and and uh, I'm happy to know you and be friends with you all these years, and to still have a smile with you and share smiles and jokes and knowledge and yes, you know, all that
0: stuff. At at, at, at certain times, you know, Menachem and I would get on the phone. We would tell jokes. That we we would like really just, I mean. Yeah. We're like, I don't know if we're ser- fully serious, but it's like like we we would just get on and I don't know y- y- you Benachem could put on a lot of accents over there,
1: yeah, and it's I love doing that with you, you get your brother, a brother, a true a true brother at arms because you know. <laughs> We make each other laugh, and it's yeah. great to have a good laugh. Yeah, I actually kind of like it when people almost stop breathing laughing. You know, <laughs> laugh so hard. <laughs> That's great because you know it's the neshama. You know, gangster neshama yeah. exercise.
0: Yeah. Pleasure to share in this conversation with you. Make sure to check out livekabbalah.com and join our online school and community to deepen your learning and living your most authentic self.